Now, are you ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. I'm ready to, to share it with you. We've been talking about the church, the church of Jesus Christ and the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful bride of Christ, the church. We said that uh, last week we talked about uh, unity and unity in the church is found when we're focused on the same purpose and mission. And so I talked to you about my dad's uh, heart for the community, and he's always had a heart for the lost. And so part of what we were doing is we were reaching out to young men in the community and forming basketball teams. We actually had a high school team all the way down to a sixth grade team, and they actually won state for five years in a row. This is one of the teams. I think this is the first year. Uh, you can remember um, I mentioned part of the problem that, that they, they were having with my dad was its first Mexican Baptist church, and there's two Mexicans. <laughs> my dad never cared. He saw souls. Souls. Doesn't matter who he was reaching. If God put him on his heart, he was going to reach him. He was going to reach him. Now, we'll talk. If you, if you want to hear the sermon, go listen to it. How many of us didn't get to hear it? Last week, if you didn't get to hear it, that's okay. Just raise your hand high. No, no shame at all. I just want to know, kind of, because I want to encourage you. Uh, download the app and listen online. You can listen as often as you like. I also want to share with you that you can listen on our YouTube channel. If you would, you could subscribe and please hit the thumbs up so that we can get the message to more people. Now, um, the message was about unity. Unity in our mission. And our mission is to share Christ with the lost and dying world, with any and everyone. At the foot of the cross, there is no slave or free, male or female, Jew or Greek. There is none of that. At the foot of the cross, God sees souls. He sees souls. And so that's what's important. And when a church gets united by that, then they walk in power and authority. But before we get to that, I want to read our focal passage. Stay with me. We're, we're in Acts 17, 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, what are they talking about? Pastor, it's like you jumped in midstream. I did jump in midstream. But what I wanted to highlight for you is that they are being, they are being, listen to me very closely, they are being accused of turning the world upside down. Wouldn't that be a good thing if we were accused of turning the world upside down? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Oh, incidentally, uh, the picture I had, I didn't, even, I, I didn't even remember this, but Grover Green was in the back row last Sunday, and he gave me the picture. He sent it to me, and he said, I still have that on my Facebook. I love your dad, and I love what, what, what he did, and so that, that was pretty special. That's Grover Green holding the basketball. So uh, I, I thought I'd give him a shout out because he said, I thought you were going to shout me out. And I said, well, I didn't know if you'd get embarrassed. He goes, what are you talking about? I still have the picture. I said, okay, well, good. Praise the Lord. Amen. 
You know, that's what we're called to do is turn the world upside down. And I want you to think about this. Maybe it's not turning the world upside down. Maybe it's turning the world right side up. Amen? So I've titled my message, Turning the World Upside Down. How do you turn the world upside down? You walk in authority and power. You know, we're called to walk in authority and power. In fact, uh, I want to remind you where we've been. We, we, on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then for 40 days, he appeared to his disciples, promising them authority and power. In fact, his commission includes that. In the one found in Matthew, it says, all authority, heaven and on earth, are mine, therefore I commission you. Do you know you have, the, you have been commissioned by the king of all glory, and he has given you and conveyed upon you authority to go forth and share the gospel. Well, what does that cover, and what does that carry with it? It carries with it a tremendous, a tremendous, tremendous uh, significance, because when you walk in the king's authority, then you have the power to go with that authority to do what he's called you to do. And today you're going to see that the people of the book of Acts walked in authority and power. And you see this in the Great Commission. Also, chapter 1 of Acts, you see Jesus commissioning his disciples saying, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, not only to your people, but to the ends of the earth. You're going to share the gospel with each and everyone you come in contact with. And it will be with power. So authority and power is what's commissioned. Now for, for 40 days, he's talking to his disciples about this great, great uh, ambassadorship he's giving them. And then he ascends into heaven. But he says, I need you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Day 40, he ascends. Day 50, the Holy Spirit falls, and he falls with power, power and authority. And the disciples begin to speak in other languages. All men from all over the world that were at, the, at, uh, at Jerusalem in that time were listening and hearing this, this miracle. They were hearing the disciples speak in their language. They were receiving the gospel. And the Bible tells us that about 3,000 were converted that very day. Now, I want you to think about that. The church is started, and it's already a megachurch. Just boom. Isn't that incredible? Some of us have asked me, Pastor, I, I hope we don't grow into a megachurch. I don't know what you mean by that. But if you mean you don't want that many souls to be saved, no. I want all of Bastrop to be saved. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, we can talk about, you know, remaining relevant and, and, and loving and caring and staying faithful to the truth and all of those things, and it can happen with a lot of people. Why? Because the New Testament church saw that. And so I want to talk to you about three of my favorite stories indicating the disciples walking in unity under the authority and power of the Holy Spirit and how it changed their world. In fact, it turned their world upside down. The first one I want to talk, to talk about is a lame man is healed. A lame man is healed, and that's found immediately in chapter 3. So I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ promises the Holy Spirit in chapter 1. 
The Holy Spirit comes in chapter two, and by chapter three, they're already turning the world upside down. Chapter three starts off this way. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. Now I'm gonna highlight a couple of things through these stories. I'm gonna highlight some habits of theirs. One of the habits you're gonna see is they were a praying church. They believed in the power of prayer because the power of prayer is what brings the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority to walk in it. And so here they are at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms, to beg. So he was brought, he was carried in. Now he was in this condition from birth, and he was put at the temple gate. Why would that be a great place? Because everybody has to go through the gate. And as they walk through the gate, um, I want you to notice something. Because if, you, if you're following along in your Bible, you're going to see that Peter sets eyes on him. Means he really sees him. And I believe the Bible makes this clarification because isn't it easy when you see something over and over and over and over on your way to and from work, to and from church, to and from the house of worship, and you're just walking by it, going by it, it's easy for it to fade into the background and for you not really, really, really notice it. And so this man's been there for how many years? I don't know. Or at least I'm not going to highlight that right now. What I am going to highlight, it's been long enough that people are just used to him. He's just part of the gatepost now. How do we know this? Because Peter says, look at me. So much so that I don't know the last time someone asked him to look at him. I don't know when was the last time someone really stopped and noticed him as a person, as someone valuable to the king of glory. Now, I want you to notice something else. How many people, how many hundreds of thousands of people have passed him to and from church or the house of worship? On their way to church, back and forth, there's a need right there, but no one has eyes to see. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. He gives you eyes to see and a heart to feel. Eyes to see and a heart to feel. And so they see him and notice what they say. Peter says, silver or gold, we have none. Come on, how many of you would say, that's me? Silver or gold, I have none. <laughs> hey, that's okay. You know, it's interesting because so many times the reason we don't get involved is because we feel like, well, I don't have what it takes. I don't have this. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't know if I have that Saturday. Maybe you don't have every Saturday, but you have one Saturday to be on the ramp team. Maybe you don't know everything there is to be to do uh, or, or to know about building a ramp to someone's home, but the Holy Spirit is giving you a heart today and saying, you know what, you can go and nail one board. You can be a part of it. You can learn, and sooner or later you might lead a team, but silver or gold, you may have none, but what do you have? This is what they were learning. They had something that no one else was walking with. They were walking in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a child of God, that is your birthright. That is what you've been given, the power and authority to say, 
get up and walk. You go, Pastor, I don't know if I can say get up and walk, but maybe you can pray for their marriage to be healed. Maybe you can pray for their child to come back home. Maybe you can pray that their addiction would be broken. Maybe you can walk with them and share the gospel. Silver or gold, you have none, but do you have the gospel of reconciliation? See, what do you have? Because when you walk in the power and authority of the, of the Most High God, He gives you eyes to see and a heart to feel. And so He stretches out His hand. He takes Him by the hand. He says, get up and walk. And in the name of Jesus, He says, get up and walk. And the man began to leap at once. He ran into the temple. And now they have a crowd on their hands. Why? Because he begins to proclaim, look at what Jesus did for me as he's dancing. I don't know how he's dancing. What he I don't know what kind of dance he's doing. But I mean, he is going for it. And he begins to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. Now Peter has a crowd and you never waste a crowd if you're Peter. So Peter says, in the name of Jesus, let me share with you a gospel message. And he begins to say, let me tell you about Jesus who was crucified. In fact, you crucified him. You asked Barabbas to be let go and you let a murderer free while you crucified the prince of life. And he begins to, he begins to say to them, but but I need you to understand, this had to happen. It was written by the prophets, and it had to happen because he came to bring salvation to you and me, and you can be saved if you repent and believe. And as he began to share this, people start to repent and believe. But in chapter 4, it says, being greatly disturbed. Who was greatly disturbed? Well, there were certain teachers that were part of crucifying Jesus, didn't appreciate this. And so they taught the people and preached in, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. They laid hands on the people. And people were being healed. And people were receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, those that were disturbed, you see later they were indignant. They were infuriated. The Bible uses different words. As you go through the book of Acts, they laid hands on them. So Peter and John are laying hands on the people who are receiving, but the people that were upset are laying hands on them and saying, hey, we don't like this. You preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, how many of you would have said, I'm out. I'm done. I I'm done. No, it's getting a little physical. I don't do physical. Can I tell you, this world gets physical. <laughs> Doesn't mean you have to respond back, but people are going to push you. People are going to say, you better not. You better stop. And yet you have to have the power and authority to keep proclaiming. To keep proclaiming. To keep proclaiming if you want to be someone that turns the world right side up again. However, many of those who heard believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Do you see what's happening? God is adding 3,000. God is adding 5,000. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. I can almost hear it. Peter's saying, hey, let me just get this right. 
You're laying hands on us and you're getting physical with us and you're telling us we better stop doing this. I just want to make sure I understand you correctly. We heal an innocent man who you've all seen has been this way from birth. And we heal him in the name of Jesus who you crucified. God raised him from the dead. And he starts presenting the gospel message again as he's recapping. I love it. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? He's like, I'm just recapping, but since I'm recapping, I might as well preach. You know what's so funny, guys? This society is trying to tell us that preaching is wrong. You know, preparing for uh, grandma's funeral, I went through and I was reading some sample uh, eulogies. And one of the eulogies that I came across was from a, of a, a granddaughter, um, you know, eulogizing her grandmother. And she, she said as one of the admirable qualities, my grandma never preached to us. And I thought, shame on her. No, really, shame on her. What does the Bible say? The Bible say faith comes by, not by seeing, by hearing. The Bible says, how will they know if you don't tell them? See, if you don't preach to your grandchildren, who will? If you don't preach to your children, who will? Tell them the truth. Tell them Jesus loves them. Tell them there's a better way. Can I tell you this world is preaching to them? This world is telling them it's okay. It's all right. Go ahead. Do this. Do that. It's preaching to them all day long. But as soon as you preach, you go, oh, you're preaching. Yeah, I am preaching. I'm preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want my son and my daughters to know there's a better way. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He can forgive all of your sins. And when you fall down and are hurt, all you have to ask, and he is faithful and just to forgive according to his word. And he is a God of his word. Amen? Oh, come on. This is exciting, isn't it? Don't take that, oh, I don't preach. Yeah, I'm a preacher. I'm an ambassador of the gospel. That's what the Bible says. You're an ambassador of reconciliation. Use your mouth to do it, amen? If we, okay, so he says, he stands here whole, and then watch how he finishes this recap. He says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not maybe saved, must be saved. I don't think this went well, Peter. Because you know what I've noticed? When you preach the gospel, some are going to love it, some are going to hate it. Those that want to walk in darkness are going to hate it because they feel judged by it. You know, I was hearing a story the other day that this This wealthy businessman, when Billy Graham was alive, got to play golf with him. They were doing a charity event. And he went away saying that Billy Graham was just so preachy. And Billy Graham didn't say a word to him about necessarily preaching. He was just being his normal self. And he went along later to explain that when people are wrong and they want to remain in darkness... The light naturally offends them. Naturally offends them. You don't have to do anything that special. All you got to do is just say, Jesus loves you. How dare you? (laughs) You know, now listen, 
So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, what did they say? Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things which we have, uh, we, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know what they're saying? They're saying we've got to be witnesses of God's goodness. Come on. How many of you have experienced God's goodness? Is there anyone here, just raise your hand, if God saved you miraculously? If you wouldn't be here if it weren't for the goodness of God, raise your hand. Let me ask you another question. Keep your hands raised. If your marriage wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for God's goodness, raise your hand. If your children wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for God's goodness, raise your hand. I want you to look. I want you to see. Then tell of his goodness. He's saying, I have to. I cannot keep quiet. I've got to share it. You know, I learned this from my mama. And I, I got to tell you, I, I come at, at evangelism naturally because my dad He's an evangelist at heart. And I can remember being in Houston, Second Ward, all Hispanic neighborhood on the avenues. The avenues are a rough part of, of, of Houston, really rough part, gang infested. And you'd walk down those avenues and you'd find guys sitting on the hoods of their cars or leaning back on their hoods, tailgates down. And they're just gathered because nobody wants to be in a little hot house. They want to be outside and they're drinking beer and they're all tatted up and they got the they got the shirt off, you know, and can, can you picture it? And my dad walks up, and right in the middle of them, he starts talking to them with, in, in their slang. And I'm just watching. I'm a little kid, and he's got me by the hand. And then he starts preaching the gospel. And at first, they're like, next thing you know, they're on their knees receiving Jesus. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. Wow. And so he he just had a natural evangelistic heart, and so I thought, man, maybe I can do the same. And so I would wear my cross out. I always wore a cross. Today I'm wearing the Ezekiel pendant, but I always wore the cross out. And then one time in guitar class, because guitar class, none of us learned how to play guitar. We just, like, messed around. And so um, in guitar class, one of the guys goes, hey, man, why do you wear the cross? Remember, all Hispanic, Catholic, very, 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 very staunch Catholic, they're like, and he's like, why do you wear the cross? I go, and what do you mean? He goes, and not the crucifix. And so I said, oh, man, this could be trouble. Oh, it's, it's no big deal. I don't know. It's just, it's just a little something. And so they kept pushing me on it, kept pushing me on it. Finally, I said, you know why I don't wear the crucifix? Because my Savior's not on the cross. He's risen. Oh, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I was going and I started going, I said, and if you knew any better, and if you knew a lick of Bible, you'd know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, but you're too stupid to know that. <laughs> Remember I told you I like to fight? Back then, I, I got in 27 fights in six months. That's more than a fight a week. And so it went something like that. I just lashed out, and he said, I think you called me stupid. I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> and boy, they gathered up, and I'm like, come on. And I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly because there was so many incidents, but there was one where, you know, we just started and then, you know, get, get in trouble, and then my mama gets involved. Oh, you never want mama involved. 
You know, and I said, I want to talk to dad. He goes, oh, he's coming. He's parking the car. He's parking the car. And they get there. And I said, dad, I was witnessing. It was for the cause of Christ. It was persecution at its finest. I mean, and my dad said, well, tell me what happened. As I began to tell the story, my mom drops her head and she's just like, She says, God never asks you to be an attorney for him or to argue someone into the kingdom or to beat them with God's word. God wants you to tell them of his goodness. How good has he been to you, Chris? What has he done for you in your life? How wonderful is his saving grace? Can you tell them that, son? And I remember my heart melting and feeling this small as she led me in a prayer of forgiveness and repentance. And yes, I'll preach the gospel from the gospel, but I never forget to tell him how good he is to me. Because at the end of the day, I'm here to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of what I've experienced in Christ. And I've experienced new life. How about you? That's what he's saying. I cannot not tell the truth of what I've seen and heard. So after they threatened them, they let him go. In verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions. What companions? Well, the church was being formed. There was a bunch of them now. They go back to the other guys and they report to them what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God and with one accord said, Lord, you are God. Now, I want you to think, how would we have handled it? We've just been threatened. Would we go and, man, we got to lay low, guys. We got to really evaluate this nonsense. We got to relocate. We got to go to the suburbs. We cannot be raising a ruckus. We're going to get sighted. Our church is going to get cited. Who knows? They may bring us up in the city council at the commissioner's court. We need to stop this. Now, what do they say? Watch. They say, we need to come together. We need to pray. Lord, you are God. I put dot, dot, dot. You can read the whole prayer. But, but this is the part I wanted to highlight. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Look at these threats, Lord. And grant to your servants that with all boldness, They may make, what? They may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and with signs and wonders. Now watch, watch this. They may be done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness and God showed up. Why? Because at the end of the day, God came to give you power and authority to present the gospel message of his love for a lost and dying world that desperately needs to be turned right side up, that needs to be told there's a better way. And so it went from one man being saved to many being saved to multiples of many being saved. I want you to pick up something in the book of Acts. At first, the Bible uses the word added, and God added to their number. Then it says God added multiples. Then God multiplied multiples. 
What's taking place? Exponential growth. The exponential growth of the power of the Holy Spirit is what we see here. So by chapter 5, this is how the Bible reads. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches or or stretchers. That at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were, no, 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 some were healed, a fraction were healed. No, all were healed. Why? Because when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, and you might say, but pastor, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I don't know if I believe in that that the gift is still in operation the same way it was in operation back then because I'm a dispensationalist. Yes, guess what? I, I understand. That's fine. Be a dispensationalist. Some say, no, no, no. I don't believe the gift has ceased. I believe the gift is in operation. Doesn't matter. I believe this, and you can't argue against it. The Holy Spirit heals, period. Period. Then and now. But, but I'm not sure if he works through somebody. He doesn't have to work through somebody. He heals, period. Guess what? He healed me. I was on a mission trip. I had suffered with ulcerative colitis for 20 plus years. And on that faithful day, I remember God healed me. And the doctor goes, well, sometimes these things just miraculously just turn. I said, yeah, his name is Jesus. (laughs) No, I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this. They had me on the, the, there's, there's four tiers of the kind of drugs they can give you before they start chopping your colon. I was on that. I was in that last stage. My doctor, who's a Christian, said, you have, to, you have to pray because what we have for you is not working. On that, I, I wasn't even supposed to be on the mission trip because my condition was so bad. But I said, Lord, for your glory, God, I'm going to go because you want me to go. Now it's up to you to do the rest. And in faith, I just prayed for healing. He got healed healed me. Can I tell you, he healed my wife. She was diagnosed with viral encephalitis at two years old. She went clinically blind. She's not even supposed to be here. She can see. She's perfectly fine. God healed her. So I don't think we should get in the bickering of, well, does God heal by a person? He heals by the Holy Spirit then and now. Then and now, can I tell you, when we walk in the authority of God's word, he heals marriages, he heals people's bodies, he heals people's relationships, he heals. And so the high priest rose up, filled with indignation, laid their hands on the apostles again and put them in prison this time. But the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Why? 
the angel of the Lord says, go back to preaching the gospel. They went right back, started preaching the gospel. And when the high priest came out, they're like, didn't we throw these guys in prison? I don't know what happened. It was a miracle. They're back at it, preaching again. It just, come on, guys. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of you are saying, you're not really preaching. You're just reading the Bible. That's the best kind. But Peter and the other apostles, after being threatened again, said we ought to obey God rather than you. Our first allegiance is to God. Come on. Come on. How would our churches be if we cared more about God than our Facebook rating? Or in this or that. If we were more concerned about not just gathering people, but but preaching the gospel and pleasing God so that the Spirit might move. Oh, it's happening. So by chapter 6, this is the way chapter 6 starts. Now in those days when the number of the disciples were, was multiplying, so now not just believers are multiplying, but disciples are multiplying. These are, these are believers that are studying up, and they're multiplying so much, though, that the church decides and hears from the Holy Spirit that you should select seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, to help you grow this thing that we're growing called the church. And that's when Stephen comes onto the scene and he preaches with such fervor, authority, and power that they gnash their teeth at him and they, they martyr him. And when they think that they're going to scare them and scatter them, they martyr this brother. They kill him. And it's like throwing gas on a fire. More believers just rise up in power and authority and preach with more strength. And then you hear the story of Philip. And Philip is caught up. I used to tell this to my son because he used to love watching the Marvel movies. I say, Marvel doesn't have anything on the word of God that's absolutely true. Here you have Philip that's caught up by the Holy Spirit and teleported the best I can understand it. He's teleported wherever the Spirit needs him. Can you imagine if we, would be, if we would be used by the Spirit of Almighty God? You're saying, are you believing that he could teleport? I'm saying that he will use you where he needs you. And, and, and he doesn't have to explain anything. You just have to be ready. Just have to be ready. And after Philip, you see the Spirit of the Lord show up in Paul's life as Jesus Christ is manifested to him on the road to Damascus and he goes from persecuting the church, killing Christians to making Christians, persecuting the church to building the church. And then you have Paul join up, join up with Barnabas, the man of encouragement. And then Barnabas takes John Mark and takes off in a different direction. And Paul is left with Silas and the teams are growing and multiplying. And everywhere Paul goes, he just shares the gospel with power and authority. And this is my favorite story, and this is where we end. Now it happened as we went to what? How many times do you hear him praying? Can I tell you the, the, the secret to power and authority is to pray? I want to tell you that there is something supernatural about prayer. I can remember my dad telling me, son, if you want to break things in the spiritual, pray. When you go to share the gospel, pray. 
pray that the Spirit would move in spite of your words and would use your words. And I can remember a situation would be tense when we'd be witnessing and he would start praying. He would say, guys, can I pray for you? And he wouldn't even wait for them to say yes. He would just start praying. And that's the beauty of of ministering in Hispanic culture because they immediately go, you start praying, they go. And as they would listen, men, things would be broken. You could just see it. Tears would start falling. One guy would start kneeling. The next thing you know, the spirit would start moving. One might get agitated and say, I'm out of here. But he's the one that needed to leave so that the gospel message would go forth. Amen? And you see this happening. So when we first started Foundation, the way we started is I would go door to door and I would go witnessing. I'd go every part of town, everywhere. The hills of Tahitian, over here in these neighborhoods, across the tracks. I was, I was across the tracks one day and these guys were up to no good. And I remember going up to him and I go, hey, what y'all doing? He was none of your business. And then I said, all right, never mind, but uh, can I pray for y'all? One guy goes, no, absolutely not. And the other guy who's the leader goes, why not? I said, you got to need help with something. It's just a prayer. So I looked at the other guy and goes, you're not scared, are you? No, nah, man, I ain't scared. I said, come on, let's pray. So I put my hands on their shoulders. I started praying. And, I, and, and, and you have to realize when you pray with power and authority, you don't pray one of these, oh, Lord, if maybe, perhaps, if you're not busy, could you maybe bless them? In the name of Jesus, I pray that what? Their eyes would be open, that their hearts would be receptive, that you would speak to them, almighty, awesome God. And boy, I started praising the Lord, and one guy was like, wanting to take his hand, my hand off of him, and I grabbed him even tighter, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm holding on to him, and I'm praying the name of Jesus over him, and then that one guy just starts weeping, and right then, before the spirit breaks through, just cars started showing up out of nowhere, and playing loud music, like parked right there, we're on the sidewalk, and they're parked right there, just boom, 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 and, and calling their names out, and trying to disrupt And I knew, I knew, I knew, I'm not the only one that knows the power of prayer. The devil knows the power of prayer. And so we just kept rebuking and praying. I'm telling you, there's a power of prayer. And there was a certain slave girl that was possessed with the spirit of divination. She brought her masters much profit, a lot of money by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and Silas and, and Luke And cried out saying, all week long she'd been following these guys saying what? These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now why is that a problem? The reason it's a problem is because they don't need the enemy's help to present the gospel message. They need the enemy to shut up, be quiet, and the gospel message will go forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. No other spirit. No other spirit. And so in a moment, Paul is annoyed. Can you be annoyed in the spirit? Evidently you can. Because Paul, greatly annoyed, not a little bit annoyed. Jason, I want you to feel this. You've been crying to share, and this girl just following you And then you just like, that's it. And your buddies are like, oh, there he goes. 
They already know you. Oh, there he goes. He's had it. And he turns around and what does he do? Come on, live this with me. Live this with me. You're, you're walking around doing the Lord's work and you know this is an evil spirit. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is already testified to you. And that's why you're annoyed. And as you're annoyed, you turn around and you say, the name of Jesus, come out of her. She's set free. No longer can her masters earn money, and now they're angry. They get the whole community in an uproar. They throw them into prison, and they tell the jailer not to allow them out to watch them with his life, so he puts them in the inner dungeon, and he puts them in stocks. So I looked up when I was a young pastor, because I had a flair for the dramatic, how to make stocks, and I made some stocks. I didn't make them, but one of my brothers made them who's woodcrafty. And we brought him up on the platform when we were still in the school, and I said, anyone think they can handle the stocks for a 50-minute message? I used to preach 50 minutes back then. <laughs> and so uh, I'm at about 45 now. <laughs> so, so, so one big guy goes, I can do it, Pastor. I said, I come on up. So he comes up, and he had kind of muscular legs. I could tell because they were busting through his jeans a little bit. And I thought, this is going to be a great illustration because the more muscular you are, the more the acid builds up, and it creates great pain. And so, man, we put him in those stocks. 15 minutes in, he's already. And everybody's laughing. I'm like, pay, don't pay attention to him. Pay attention to me. And then right at the, towards the end of the sermon, he's like, please get me out of here. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I said, do you think you could handle an entire night? No, I can't handle one more minute. I said, try to sing a song of praise. He couldn't. So when you read these stories and you go, I don't know if I could do that. I just want you to resolve in your heart. You can't. I can't. They couldn't. The Spirit of God could. Working in them and through them. The Spirit of God can. Working in you and through you. The Spirit of God can working in you and through you. Yes, they were in pain. Yes, their physical body was being tortured. But the Spirit was flowing with joy from within. And that's what our world needs. That's what our marriages need. That's what our sons and daughters need to see in us and through us. Yes, it's hard, but the Spirit of the living God is doing something. And as they began to sing, the miracle took place. The prison doors were open, and just before the jailer kills himself, Paul reassures him and says, we're still here. We're not going anywhere. He falls on his face because he notices something different about them. They walk in power and authority. He says, what must I do to be saved? It's right there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. That day, his whole household was saved. The next day, the magistrates realized they had made a mistake, arresting them and whipping them with many stripes and putting them in stocks. They knew they had made a mistake, so they said, tell them to go. We're done with them. And Paul says, Paul says, they have beaten us openly. We are uncondemned Romans. Oh, you guys are not just Hebrews, you're Romans. 
and we didn't have a proper trial for you? And we did all this to you? Paul says, yeah, you did. Therefore, now you come down and tell us to go. So that when you come down, we'll preach the gospel to you too as we go. (laughs) This is beautiful, guys. So you say, Pastor, you still haven't gotten to the whole idea of they were turning the world upside down. No, haven't you understood everywhere they went? This was in Philippi. So they said, you need to leave and leave town too. They said, gladly, we've already done what we've come to do here, share the gospel. The very next chapter, this is what you read. Now they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, or as his custom was. What does that mean? That means this is just what I do. Come on. That the world would say that about us. That's just what those foundation people do. They just can't help but share the gospel. They can't help but tell of God's goodness. That's just what they do. It's their custom. And then watch. And this is where they say, these men who have gone all over the world turning it upside down have shown up here too have shown up here too. Come on, be a world changer. Be a world changer. And start with your family. Start in your own home. Let your heart beat for your children, for your nieces, for your nephews, that no one, no one on your watch would go to hell and would not know the loving, loving grace of a Savior King. As we leave today, would you just take a moment would you just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, fill me with the love of the Father for the lost and dying world. And then, Lord, help me to walk by the power and authority of your Spirit. Help me to communicate the gospel message to those who need it. Help me live in such a way that this is my manner, this is my custom, this is what I do. It's just what I do. In Jesus' name, we thank you for your body that was broken your blood that was shed. May we honor you, Lord. May we honor you as faithful ambassadors. Until you return. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great week.